Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to share our podcast has been nominated in Boise Weekly's annual Best of Boise contest. And while it's an honor to be nominated, I have to admit it would be even more fun to win. If we've helped you connect to the city you love, go to the link in the show notes to vote for us by May 23rd. Thanks, Boise. Today on CityCast Boise, librarians are the cool kids now, the pesticide lobby seems to be working hard at the statehouse, and why foodies have plenty to chew on this week. We're catching up on what's been trending with Boise State Public Radio's George Prentice. It's Friday, January 26th. I'm Frankie Barnhill, and this is what Boise's talking about. George, thanks for being here. Uh, We got so much to cover today. How are you doing so far? I'm doing well. Hi, and thanks for the invite. Of course. Um, Always good to have you. So I want to dig into this uh, survey that came out from uh, Boise State University. It's the ninth year of this statewide survey that asks all kinds of questions about public policy. Um, And one of the main questions that they asked that they've been tracking over nine years that is different this year is do Idahoans feel like the state is on the right track or off the right track? And for the first time, more Idahoans um, than in previous years feel that the state is on the wrong track. So that's kind of the main headline. I was just wondering, you know, what stands out to you about this survey's results, uh, particularly when you think about Boise and the Treasure Valley and how that fits into this bigger statewide picture? So interesting because I think exactly to that graph, I think what really jumps out to me is is the trend of the graph, right? Mm-hmm. It is now below water, if you will. So wrong track is now uh, over right track. But when you look at the trend, this has been heading in that direction for a while. So I think a fair amount of people might say, well, tell me something I don't know. Um, <laughs> but... Um, To your question in regards to the Treasure Valley and Boise in particular, I find this very interesting in that this was taken in November. This was taken at a time of a general election when a lot of people in Boise were engaged. Right. And we had a 40% plus voter turnout. So I would be, I'm not here to tell uh, the, the analysts how to do their job or, or or what the, you know, hey, could you give me a separate chapter? But I would love to have a, a subchapter on Boise, right track, I would wrong too. track. I would because too. Because I think the general election flips this number mm. because you had an incumbent that won election. And that's basically a right track over wrong track. That's yeah. it's usually, it's about the incumbent. Incumbent Mayor McLean you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. And her, uh, the candidates for council that supported her and that she supported. So I think that's really interesting. But can I just talk for a second about this survey? Because it's been coming out for a number of years. And I'm really wonky I think you might be too. We love this stuff, but I'm I'm really getting tired of analysis for analysts. Mm. I think there's so much in here and so many stories to be told that's in here, 
but where are the faces and the voices? And if this were to be published, i.e. released and talked about, I would love to have seen a little thumbnail photograph or a quote from so-and-so. Right. Bring this to my kitchen table. You've got to put a face and a voice to this. You and I have talked about this for years, but I hate to see a great opportunity lost. And my sense is a week from now, not too many people are going to be talking about this survey. You mentioned kind of kitchen table topics, something that we we are very right. interested in and our listeners are certainly interested in, like what actually affects you day to day. Cost of living. Yeah, totally, totally. As well as, um, you know, one of the things that really stood out, of course, uh, and is timely given where the legislature is spending a lot of its time, um, or at least some people in the legislature are spending their time throwing stones at libraries and librarians. And hey, guess what? According to this survey, 69% of those surveyed across the state trust public libraries and librarians to choose the books that are made available to them. So I feel like, you know, what does this say to you about hyper-local politics? Because nothing is more hyper-local than like a local library board election, which we've talked about a lot uh, in the last year or so. Yeah, absolutely. And I have thought for a while that this is a losing issue for Republicans and even conservatives. Uh, It's a very particular issue. It is, uh, quite frankly, demonizing librarians. Um, But this is nowhere near the list of issues that folks want to be dealt with. The legislation that's coming out of the legislature so far has nothing to do with this with these priorities. Right, improving education, making more affordable housing, better jobs. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, where's the jobs bill? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, where where's the housing? Where where's the bill on public transportation? Right. I know that there's nothing new there, but this kind of validates that. But yeah, we we are in the midst of and I think a lot of people knew it was going to be this way, a culture war at the Capitol. Election year. <laughs> We've been saying it. We'll continue right. to say it. Yes. Another big headline uh, on a topic that uh, is very controversial and that we've talked about a lot is, of course, the incredibly draconian abortion laws, uh, abortion mm. bans in Idaho. And, you know, more than 50 percent apparently in this statewide survey want to see uh, our abortion ban become less restrictive. Now, there's yeah degrees of what kind of less restrictive exactly. But 57% don't like the bans that are on the books right now, um, which could, again, in an election year, maybe bite some conservatives in the butt, depending on the district. I mean, in Boise, we saw Planned Parenthood endorsed candidates win this fall, didn't we? We did. I'm really surprised that there was not a really strong effort to put an abortion initiative on this year's ballot. Uh, that is strategy in a number of battleground states across the U.S. Yeah. because it's a losing, it's a losing battle. Even in, in just as conservative states, for, yeah, for many. That's examples. right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and and it uh, and voters actually will show up. Maybe they weren't even going to go to the polls, but they'll show up for this issue. I'm not saying everyone agrees on reproductive rights, but clearly a lot of people do want to weigh in on this. So it will be very interesting to see uh, the states that are in play in the November election that have a reproductive rights initiative on a ballot. Idaho won't be one of them. Maybe a missed opportunity. Yeah. I don't think Joe Biden would necessarily win Idaho, but I think it would have some sway in the race for the Idaho House and Senate 
uh, because there are a number of legislators over in that building who are there who won by, I don't know, a couple dozen votes. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, reproductive rights, clearly a, a lot of moderates are saying, hey, it's a bridge too far here. Yeah. Well, and I agree with you. I would love to see a Treasure Valley specific survey. I know that Boise State in the past has done the Treasure Valley surveys. I think the last one was in 2021. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm especially be interested, you know, in the statewide one, they asked about newcomers to the state and their political affiliation or how they how they identify themselves politically. And this is not a surprise that statewide that within the last 10 years, 46% of newcomers are Republicans compared to 35% who identify or who, who moved here 10 years ago. So uh, more than 10 years ago. So uh, newcomers are much more likely to be Republican than people who have been here for longer. But I want to see those Boise specific numbers. <laughs> yeah. And especially I'm more curious actually about those who consider themselves independents mm -hmm. because I've, I've always thought that that was the growing number. Maybe the migration from uh, Orange County in California maybe puts those folks in the GOP column. But, I mean, you and I have talked about this in a while. The, the growing number are those folks who are independent and or undeclared. Yeah, but could indicate that becoming more and more partisan statewide. Yeah, they're finding their tribe. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. We are in the third week of the legislative session. Uh, it's an election year, saying it again and again and again. Um, they are trying to wrap up by March 22nd as a reminder to listeners. So we're like a little less than a third done. And there's been already plenty of pretty lame and tiresome culture war stuff happening so far. Mm. Um, so what's going under the radar in your opinion? Or what are you noticing that maybe isn't getting a lot of attention yet? Well, a couple of things that aren't getting attention. I'd actually like to bring a couple of measures to our listeners' attention. Uh, one, which I found really interesting, is a bill that would limit Idaho's public health districts. Hmm. Uh, this bill uh, would um, change the definition of public health districts and their responsibility. It, uh, it basically would say... Uh, their oversight would only be for, quote, quote, what is necessary or reasonable, but it would also take out oversight on preventative health measures, which <laughs> is a lot of what public health districts yeah. do. <laughs> what are they going to do without that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I found that to be really interesting, and I'm, I'm going to be tracking that one. And then something that popped up just the other day, and this is a new bill that was introduced this week that basically protects the use of pesticides in Idaho agriculture. We know that there have been efforts from California in particular uh, to um, really call out manufacturers of pesticides, especially in their warning labels and, uh, and just their responsibility to the public. And of course, these manufacturers don't just manufacture for California. So indeed, right. these are products that are used in Idaho. As a matter of fact, used all over Idaho. So this bill would basically say, don't tell us how to put labels on our pesticides. It's like, hold it, what? Are huh. you kidding me? We're talking about consumer protection here, right? Yeah. So it is, uh, it's a measure to protect the pesticides that Idaho farmers and ranchers rely upon. 
and it has surfaced in the Senate Commerce Committee. And it's one of those, I don't know, wonky bills that probably a lot of people wouldn't catch. But it's like, hold it, what is this? This has lobbyists you know, all over it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. This sounds like old school uh, kind of yeah. <laughs> bill, honestly, because there have been so many people. I mean, the uh, the crunchy true right wing pipeline <laughs> that is talked about yeah. a lot on the Internet. Um, you know, it's not just a, you know, a liberal issue to care about, you know, what pesticides are on our food or going into our system now. Like people across the political spectrum care about this a lot. And it's in the interests of Idaho agriculture to do the right thing so that you're so that um someday the EPA doesn't shut you down. <laughs> right. So yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm glad you brought those to our attention. Um mm -hmm. what about just like in general, kind of the the vibe, the 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 way that things are conducted, the the people's business and how it's been conducted so far this session. Is there anything besides the fact that clearly, you know, these culture war issues that are very attached to once again election year um, are coming to the surface? Anything else that you've been uh, seeing in committees? Yes. So we have seen some pretty high profile um, events, uh, public testimony on you know, library bills, uh, guns right. in schools, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. And But what I have heard, and it is a troubling trend, what I have heard from a number of chairmen and chairwomen of these committees, the people who basically run the show, I keep hearing the phrase, I'm going to take a personal privilege at the beginning of a public hearing. And they, they've been saying, we're going to limit public testimony until... I don't know, 10 a.m. or 10.30. Now, in years past, if you can't get it done that day, it goes to a second day or a third day, right? No more. They're limiting public testimony. So hmm. what does that mean? That means if you, as a citizen, it's pretty difficult to drive to the Capitol, find a parking place, walk in there at 8 a.m. And, and, and put your name on a clipboard to make sure that you, you've got you know, your two minutes to talk about something. Well, who knows how to navigate that better than anyone? Lobbyists, right? So, right, of course. yeah, the, the, this the is their job. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just think it's really troubling. So, mm. I heard um, Thursday morning there uh, in uh, in an education committee uh, hearing on a pretty important bill in regards to charter schools in Idaho, and it the public hearing was just beginning, and the chairperson said, "I'm going to take a personal privilege." Uh, we're going to cut off at 1030. Did they give an explanation for why? Because we, quote unquote, have to be on the floor. Now, you know, they'll just sure, say sure, whatever. Sure. And and because I keep hearing this, this is clearly, this is an MO. Um, mm. This is not coincidence. This is by design. This is to have less public input. Ah, oh, <laughs> that is yeah. so frustrating. Uh, yeah. And I wonder if it's short-sighted um, on these uh, chair people's part, perhaps. Not at all. I think it's by design. I think mm. it's clearly to push things through. Let's take a look at this uh, this bill, this this guns and school bill uh, mm -hmm. that came out this week. Nearly every, with the exception of the NRA lobbyists, nearly everyone who testified said absolutely not, and it sailed through the committee. It sailed through the committee. So, yeah. Does it? Does the input matter? Well, maybe not. Mm. Well, 
That's depressing. Uh, so I'm going to try and pivot hard right or hard left, who knows, hard one way to my kitchen table and to my uh, stomach, which is always interested in what food is getting acknowledged uh, by a national scene around from Boise. So the James Beard nominations are out and um, those every year acknowledge some of the best chefs, some of the best restaurants around the country. Uh, we reported this in our Hey Boise newsletter. And this year, four Idaho chefs have been nominated in the mountain region category. So we're up against like Utah, Colorado, Montana, um, Idaho. And Dan Ansadegi was nominated again for his Bass Dishes um, from Ansatz in Boise. So he's the he's the one Boise chef. Did you see the others, George? Did you look at the list yet? I saw the list and I have to admit that I'm not, a, I, I haven't been a customer yet. I, 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 I drooled all the way yeah, through right? it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Frankie, you know about this stuff. Can you talk to me? It seems as if the James Beard Award, I mean, they really get things right, don't they? They really, um, yeah. they, they identify not only just under the radar uh, chefs, but uh, you know, chefs that we're going to be talking about for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. How fun would it be to be the person who gets to, you know, try these these restaurants all around the country and then say, this is this who gets nominated in this category and this is why. Yeah. And then um, to say the other two, the other three names, actually, it's Salvador Alamia, um, who, mm -hmm. of course, we've had on the podcast before. He's the chef at Amano in Caldwell. We love Amano um, at CityCast Boise. And then Another uh, that I hadn't heard of, the Stanley Supper Club, which is apparently... In Stanley, Idaho, yeah. Yes, yeah, and fairly new on the scene, and it's um, run by Ben Harlow and Heather Logan. So two chefs for one one spot, and I'm super intrigued by this. I know. I mean, is it truly like a <laughs> supper club? That would be yeah. fascinating. And now I'm so jealous. I know. I want to go to Stanley and try it sometime. Um, <laughs> yes. And the food looks, of course, incredible. And their story seems very sweet. And I I need to learn more about how this works. But I'm looking at their um, menu and what they have coming up. They have some dinner reservations and stuff available uh, as of right now, it looks like. And I don't know. I think this, yeah, the supper club thing um, is definitely... Uh, something we've seen in other larger cities. So how funny that they've got this little thing in, in Stanley that um, has been highlighted by a national organization. It's pretty cool. Frankie, we had a story on Morning Edition the other morning. It was on uh, the growing popularity of Korean restaurants, mm. um, globally, certainly, but mm -hmm. here in North America. And a particular chef was talking about not necessarily, not necessarily being adventurous, but just doing what he thinks tastes good. But he talked about opening up a restaurant in New York. And the quote was, well, I love having a restaurant in New York because I don't have to educate the public. They will embrace just about anything as long as it's good. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's interesting. And that, But I instantly thought of Boise. It's like, yeah. gosh, is that the case here? I mean, are we that? I, are, well... Are we educated enough where <laughs> something really, um, I don't know, like a real breakthrough experience would catch on? Because I yeah. just keep seeing so many ambitious efforts fail. Yeah, I I did notice, and I guess they they opened. I'm thinking about the Avery, right? The Avery Hotel yeah. and the restaurant yeah. in downtown that took over the the Ice Bouquet, uh, the once uh, uh, known as Ice Bouquet um, Bar in downtown, but has a longer history than that. 
And we talked with the um, chef, Cal Elliott, who's a Michelin star chef from Boise originally, was one of those people who was in New York, you know, making incredible food. And that's where he, he earned his Michelin star um, and then returned to Boise, opened the Avery. And one of the things he did talk about, we we discussed, like, is Boise ready for your inventive or, or not? And he was like, I don't even know if it's that inventive anymore, to be honest. The stuff that I'm trying, mm-hmm. like, I don't think Rabbit is that uh, adventurous, but maybe Boise does. I don't know. Um, so he was kind of discussing how excited he was to open something new that doesn't exist in Boise or hadn't up until they opened, um, at least in that same way, but was a little bit, you know, trepidatious or curious to see how it would be taken um, and if people would eat that food. And I think... It is about sustainability, right? I think the tastes are starting to evolve a little bit and um, and that's that's good. But I still think there's, you know, definitely a lot of folks who find that, oh, I guess, you know, that dish didn't play well, you know, might need to find something that's a little bit more uh, known or find a connecting point with like, oh, okay, well, maybe we'll... Potatoes. I don't know. I'm throwing out the most uh, mm. <laughs> most generic, uh, uh, obvious one, but you know, find a potato dish that people will really gather around, but put it in an interesting uh, context. I should say too, of course, last year we did have our first ever Idaho chef who won, and it was Boise chef Chris Kamori from Kin who won um, the James Beard Award in the uh, mountain category. So we'll see if if one of these chefs win this year. So amazing when he took his staff. Right. And they were there um, and to share that moment. That was pretty yep. amazing. Up on stage in Chicago. Yeah, that was really cool. Very, very classy. Well, um, give me a movie to watch. Um, the Oscar nominations came out this past week. And I think more than a few people were surprised that Margot Robbie was not nominated for Best Actress. <laughs> this backlash was intense. Yes, yes. Right. And Greta Gerwig, which is the real, yep. real problem, not being... The real snub, yeah. But uh, but um, Annette Benning was nominated for Best Actress for Nyad, and Jodie Foster was nominated oh, yeah. for Best Supporting Actress for Nyad. It's it's a Netflix film. It is the true story of Diana Nyad, one of the most controversial extreme athletes of our time, and how she was a marathon swimmer, and she had, uh, let's say she had some issues with the truth sometimes talking about what she could or what she did do. It's a great, great movie. Uh, it did premiere in Toronto and that's where I got a chance. So I think a lot of people are thinking, Hmm, well, what gosh, Oh, and that Benning and Jodie Foster, I might want to check that out. Definitely check it out. It's been on Netflix for a while, but I think this week it got a big, big boost. Okay. I haven't seen it yet. So that that, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And and by the way, have you heard of uh, the new series in the know? No, what's this? You're going to love this. I'm not in this. the know about it, in the know. <laughs> okay, it is. Uh, it's it's going to be on Peacock. It uh, and uh, the first episode drops this week. It comes from Mike Judge, who of course did Silicon Valley. In the know is about the third most popular talk show on NPR. <laughs> <laughs> and oh you're thinking, God. and you're thinking, hold <laughs> it. What, so what is that? It doesn't even, it doesn't even try to, you know, disguise what it is. Mm-hmm. And so it's stop motion anim, uh, uh, animation and, but the guests are real. So the guests are live. So you'll see like Hugh Laurie or, you know, these other people. And, but it's got that 
wonderful, wickedly smart comedy uh, from Silicon Valley. Um, so, um, oh, I, I, God. Yes. obviously I have a vested interest in this. And by the way, I, I think I've, I've seen a few episodes. I'm thinking some folks at NPR aren't going to be thrilled at this, yeah. but how could you did, not watch this? Did they ask you for your life rights, George? Are you part of this production in any <laughs> well, way? It's, it, but it, it, it's so <laughs> Terry Gross. It's so, it's so, it's, it's so great. And it's in the know. And, but it's about, you know, this political correctness and I, you know uh, oh my gosh I can't recommend you gotta check this out it's called In the Know okay excellent uh, I can't wait I can't wait to see people I, I know and love uh, parodied probably <laughs> in a show like this <laughs> I mean Saturday oh, Night Live what it's been what 20-30 years since they did the famous uh, Schwitty Balls oh, it's yeah. like come on Schwitty give balls. us something new now yeah <laughs> okay here it is <laughs> the runner yeah. up to Schwitty Balls um, okay yep. well uh, that's a Great note to end on. <laughs> Thanks so much, George. Really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, really given a lot of great insight this week. So have a good weekend. You too, Frankie. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to CityCast Boise. This week, the show is produced by Evelyn Avitia, Grant Irving, Dylan Brogan, and me, Frankie Barnhill. Blake Hunter writes our Hey Boise newsletter with help from Brian Vance and Adrian Gonzalez this week. Our music is by local band Up Is The Down Is The. We'll be back Monday with more stories from around the city. See you then. Thank you.